And welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shuptoff, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We are just days away now, less than a week away from baseball. I mean, real baseball. I mean, the, you know, Tara, you know, we're talking about this before we went on the air. You know, they've been playing games against each other. They've been playing these little, you know, sometimes they're just doing drills. Sometimes they're actually streaming a game in the fact that they skip innings and, you know, do whatever else. And all this is something like baseball. But, you know, this week we actually get to see them play a real game. And that's kind of fun to think about. Yeah, it's been exciting on some level, although as a lot of us have talked about, there's still this weird underlying, I don't want to say lack of excitement, but just maybe not overwhelming excitement that there's baseball happening of some variety. But I do think it will make a difference when, you know, teams aren't playing against their own teammates and the score matters in the sense that they're actually playing to win, not necessarily just to get reps in. And, you know, when you see guys in a different uniform on the other side of the field, I think it's also going to give us a little more of an idea of how this is actually going to work when you have visiting teams coming in or you're traveling somewhere else. There's still a lot about those those logistics that are a bit of an unknown at this point. So while it seems like teams have gotten pretty comfortable with the routine at home, you know, there's going to be some adjustment period when you start moving teams around the country as well. So, yeah, I think I know that the the Cubs and the White Sox played Sunday night, and I think there's a, a little more of an a feel of, okay, baseball is actually happening now, and we'll get a chance to see that in a few days with the Cardinals as well. Yeah, and, and you, we, we kind of feel like it's going to happen now because – we are within a week and nothing bad has happened, but you do make a good point. I mean, you're right. The Cubs and the White Sox played tonight. Um, the Yankees and the Mets are playing. Uh, Baltimore and Philadelphia have played. Some of these teams are starting to, and granted, they're usually in a small group. Of course, they're going to be this year because we're not going to be traveling just a whole lot anywhere. But we are starting to get that interaction. And if things flare up, if start, people we start seeing some positive tests in the next day or two, you know, maybe things do get put back on hold. Um, I, I hope not. I hope that everything's going to hold out and we're going to be able to move forward. But, you know, they've, they've kind of put their toe in the water now and we're going to see, you know, what the temperature is, I guess. Yeah. And like it has been from the beginning, the way this works is if everyone respects this idea mm-hmm. of the bubble and even even if the bu- the bubble travels right as long right. as you stay in the bubble the theory is the idea is that you'll be all right and you'll be able to manage and keep this from becoming a problematic scenario that ends all hope of baseball this summer but The trick there, as it is everywhere, is getting people to respect this idea of, I know it's your life, I know you're a grown-up who generally gets to make your own decisions, but within the context of this thing, if you want to do it, you have to play by the rules. And, you know, that's, teams have had to figure out how to get everyone to buy in, but it also requires buy-in from the umpires, like has 
been a huge conversation Ooh. in the last couple of weeks. It requires buy-in from the people who are, you know, flying the plane that they're going to travel on or the reporters who are traveling to meet the team wherever they're going or what you know, just there's so many moving parts that the idea of functioning within this bubble for a couple of months could very much work, but it requires everyone to stay in the bubble. And that's, you know, that's what we're going to see when teams start traveling and guys get bored when they're in a different city for three days and want to get out and go do something and see what happens. So I don't know. It's the, the traveling part of this, I think, is the next step in figuring out if it's possible. And, um, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, there's not much of a, a there's not much wiggle room as far as the timing of deciding mm -hmm. that and seeing what happens. But We'll get a little taste of it this week, and then hopefully everyone continues to play along from there. Yeah, although given the state of the entire country, it seems like you know telling people what to do doesn't always go well. Not so much, um, unfortunately. So, um, but we have gotten to see a little bit on the field, and we've gotten to see the last couple of days some people we've been talking about, and the fact that Giovanni Gallegos has finally made it to St. Louis. Alex Reyes has made it back to the field. Um, Gagos says he's ready. I don't know. It seems like both all these guys are going to be kind of still needing to build up some strength and probably won't be on the opening day roster. But, you know, we were getting a little concerned about the bullpen. It's kind of nice to see them at least be, take these steps back and, and get closer to returning. Yeah, it does give, I guess, a little bit of light at the end of that tunnel. The the flip side of that is there's not a lot of uh, of grace period for figuring out the bullpen this year, so they can't take too long to become, you know, viable pieces of that puzzle. I think it sounds like Gallegos is closer to being ready than Reyes is, and you know. Even I believe Mike Schilt was saying that there's a good chance he's ready for that opening day roster, but they've got to get him on the field. There was some delays yeah. in, in making that happen this weekend. So they've got to get him out there, got to let him throw against hitters. It sounds like he's been continuing to throw and progress, which is good, but it's always hard to figure out what that means <laughs> and what that looks like in you know sort of real game scenarios. So high hopes for Gallegos and this bullpen, you're right, really needs him to be a part of that equation just to kind of give some stability to a lot of the other potential that's there, but not a lot of, um, as I like to say, not a lot of known commodities in the sense of filling roles that they're going to be asked to fill. And there's still some question marks about, well, there's still a lot of question marks about who fills those roles at all and how that all works out based on the pictures that we've seen in camp so far. So uh, Gallegos being there, definitely a big plus, whether it's opening day or you know a few days later. And Reyes coming along, man, <laughs> we keep talking about this kid, and there's always a setback. There's mm -hmm. always a problem mm -hmm. that keeps him from getting off to a good start. So I hope that that doesn't, it doesn't disappoint him too much to the point where it continues to be a lingering sort of dark cloud over him as he does try to get there and that he can just kind of keep his head down and do his work and then show up and, and be ready to go when he gets that chance. Yeah, it's still amazing for Alex Reyes. He threw 46 innings in 2016 and has thrown 
think what seven since then uh, in the major leagues, um, and that's it's a long time. I mean, you know, if if you said in 2016, what's Alex Reyes going to look like in 2020? We're thinking he's probably already got a Cy Young under his belt, you oh, know, yeah. or something like yeah. that. Um, to to the way this this guy's career has gone is it's been terrible for him, and I know that's you know he's got other issues as well, at, you know, his daughter and things of that nature is that have it's just been it's not been the golden life that you would expect for a guy like that. Um, as for Gallegos, it's an interesting thing to think about because Gallegos had the possibility this year of having a, a step back anyway. I mean, bullpens are volatile. He had just kind of, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but you know, he was, it had a good year. There's a chance he could have stepped back anyway. When you factor in then a shortened spring training, as we saw, a couple of years ago with Greg Holland, um, these things can go bad quickly. And so then you got to figure out what the issue is. Hopefully we're not worried about this, but is there a concern that, you know, these guys that are, they're going to kind of get rushed back a little bit, that they're not going to get enough of a, a, uh, of a spring to be effective. I think that's been a concern since, there was an announcement of this shortened spring, whether it was guys that didn't get a chance to get back for the entirety of it or just the rushed process of this summer camp, right? I think for someone like Gallegos, my hope is that he has, in fact, been continuing to stay on top of whatever throwing program they have him on and that it's not going to catch anyone by surprise to see what kind of condition he's in. But, you know, we say the same thing about hitters as we do about pitchers is that being in shape doesn't mean you're in game shape and that is the the last piece of that puzzle for Gallego so I think if he's been able to keep up with throwing that to me would eliminate well not eliminate completely but at least limit my concern about durability or you know where he's at as far as first throw of spring training versus last pitch before you head into the regular season, but there is still such a difference in what it looks like when you're, you're facing guys at the plate and when you're doing that with runners on base and when you're in a situation where you come in out of the bullpen in the middle of a game, instead of, you know, throwing a bullpen on your, your off day or whatever. So there's so many variables there that it's just impossible to kind of predict where he has been and where that allows him to be right now until we see him out there on the mound. And then as it always is with pitchers, it's not even necessarily just about how they throw that day, but about how they recover from it and how they throw the next time out. So that sort of routine is what I think he'll miss the most, having not been able to participate in the last couple of weeks. But again, so much of that is dependent on what he really has been doing in the meantime and how quickly he can apply that to you know, his role in the bullpen. But I think to your point about him potentially having a, a step back this year, just because of the ebb and flow of relievers, certainly a possibility. I think he was a bit of a surprise last year in his ability to show up and be as dominant as he was. And then to really take over a prominent role in that bullpen and be used pretty much in the highest leverage situations in games. Most of the time, it was an impressive journey for Giovanni Gallegos last year to come in and be that guy that we were like, I remember when, when the Cardinals played in Mexico uh, and it was kind of like, oh, that's cool that they brought him along so that he gets to play in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
a few weeks later, we were like, what? Hold on. He needs to be out there every time there's a high leverage situation going on because he's been that good. So definitely a, a journey for him last year that doesn't necessarily lend itself to repeating, but that's always the challenge, right? Is mm-hmm. to be a bullpen piece that can replicate success, even if it means adapting to a different, you know, set of hitters. You're going to be facing AL Central guys that they wouldn't see as often or at all this season, or they're going to be facing NL Central teams that now have seen a full season of Giovanni Gallegos, and he's got to be able to adapt from there. So there are lots of ways it can go wrong, for sure. <laughs> um, hopefully, though, he is in a position to to continue to adjust, and I think the bullpen would be much better off if they get some similar version of the Gallegos that they surprisingly got last year. Yeah, and hopefully so. I mean, I think that... You know, there's obviously a reason they traded for him. Um, and so we'll see if he can replicate at least it somewhat this year. Now, we have gotten, what, three games, I think, this week streamed. And I know I only watched like an inning or so. I know you watched a little bit earlier in the week. Um, it's, again, I feel like I feel like we've talked about this before, but it's just so hard to draw any conclusions when you're seeing your hitters go against your pitchers. It's... It's, you know, okay, they, they, you know, they look good. They look, don't look good. What, you know, is the offense terrible or is the pitching that great? Vice versa. Is there any, well, let's just, uh, Matt Carpenter is probably the one that's brought most people excited, gotten excited about. He's hit yeah. a couple home runs. He's looked much more like the Matt Carpenter that, I don't know that he's MVP level Carpenter, but he looks a lot better than the 2019 Carpenter. Um, is that, I don't want to say the surprise of the camp or the, but probably the most, the thing that we grab onto more than anything else, I guess this week. I think it's a great sign for this offense. And we've said this since the middle of last season, that for this offense to take off, Matt Carpenter has to be a key part of it. Because if you put Paul Goldschmidt in the middle of the lineup, if you have a a healthy and productive Colton Wong, like we saw most of last year, if you have the version of Paul DeYoung that was so great for the first part of the season last year, that's all good. But if you don't have a competitive Matt Carpenter, there's going to be a hole there because he is supposed to be a key piece of that offensive production. So I think having a a Matt Carpenter that's returning to form in some fashion or the other, it's still so early to, you know, really be determining what that looks like or to be saying that he's on MVP sort of pace at this point in, in summer camp is, you know, it's just really hard to tell because there are so many factors that, that go into this. But I mean, on the flip side, there have been guys that haven't looked great. Colton Wong hasn't looked great. Matt Carpenter has looked better. That doesn't mean anything once we get to this weekend and start playing games that matter, but it does give you an idea of kind of where their head's at, where their work has been. I don't, I don't mean that to say that Colton, Colton Wong hasn't worked hard, but there's just, it's so easy to get caught up in what's really great about someone's spring training or summer camp or what's really bad about that experience and still not be accurate either way. So 
it's nice to see Matt Carpenter. And I noted before we started recording, the thing to me is that 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 home run swing just looks so much better. It looks like it's smoothed out a little bit. It looks like it's more natural and not him trying to force something, whether it's a change in the swing or trying to hit the ball the other way or, you know, whatever it is. It looks like this sort of stereotypical classic Matt Carpenter swing. And that's generally a good sign for him. So what that turns into in regular season competition, I don't know. But if we get that version of Matt Carpenter and with the inclusion of the DH this summer, I think that makes this team a whole lot better for sure. It would seem to. And again, you know, everybody has put Matt Carpenter in the DH spot, but if he's going to be the DH, he has to hit. Um, right. You know, if it's Matt Carpenter of 2019, that doesn't do you any good to have him as a DH. So um, it is encouraging to see a, a better swing and a, some good results. And, you know, again, take it for what it's worth. Um, you know, he set him off of some of the starting pitchers, it's, and it's not like he's picking on the back end of the bullpen. So that's maybe something we have no idea it's the spring you know it's we always say well we don't know what the pitchers are working on we don't know what the hitters are working on don't take spring results to mean anything and then we do but you know because we have nothing <laughs> else to, to look it's at right now <laughs> yeah so um is there anybody uh, anybody else that has stood out i know you said that colton has not looked great uh, at least i guess offensively like defensively right. he's been phenomenal but right. to be expected <laughs> yeah uh, i is there um anybody else that has really stood out i know you mentioned before we started that austin gumbers looks pretty good yeah, man, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched that much, but what mm-hmm. I have seen, even that that first that first live streamed game where it was Jack Flaherty opposite Austin Gomber, I thought, wow. The thing that's always stood out to me with Austin Gomber is when he is on, everything is so sharp and so crisp. And you watch him and you're just like, wow, this how is he not a starting pitcher in the major leagues yet? And there are a variety of reasons that's been the case. But I've been very impressed with Austin Gomber. I think it makes the conversation about what you do with him very interesting because the Cardinals are in a similar or a familiar, I should say, position where they really have more starters than they have room for. But because of this scenario with how they're going into the season so quickly out of this summer camp that's so shortened compared to regular spring training, there's the thought that, you know, maybe you use multiple starters in a game as opposed to trying to get someone to go deep into games right away. Austin Gomber could easily factor into that mix. I don't know that there's going to be... It it depends. We haven't seen the need for multiple long relief guys for the Cardinals in the last couple of years, but I don't know that you're really doing Austin Gomber any favors or yourself in getting value out of him if he doesn't break camp with the major league team and then just goes and faces a bunch of minor leaguers in Springfield for a couple of months. So I don't know. I think that I've been very impressed with what I've seen from him. I'm still not entirely sure what they do with Austin Gomber in 2020. I think the other thing that's interesting is that Tyler O'Neill has kind of just sort of silently, quietly become the opening day left fielder in the (laughs) conversation from guys within the organization. And I don't know that that's surprising, except that there was so much pushback 
I don't know, pushback might not really be fair, but just this constant reminder from the likes of John Mosellac every time Tyler O'Neill was brought up to say, yeah, but there's also Lane Thomas. And neither one of them have been particularly impressive in the last couple of weeks, but seemingly that spot is Tyler O'Neill's to lose. And I think giving him that role on an everyday basis will be a really interesting opportunity for him that he just hasn't had yet so uh, there's there's so much potential there's so much promise there that just hasn't come to fruition we see the big home runs then we see the you know strikeout totals rack up with him so I don't know what that really looks like in terms of his production or where he fits in the lineup or what it means for Lane Thomas but that was the other bit from this week that I thought huh it's interesting that that seems to be relatively decided at this point without Tyler O'Neill making a particularly big splash in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, anytime Tyler O'Neill has gotten a chance to play in for an extended period of time, he's done very well. I just hadn't had a whole lot of shots at that. Um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe he had the lead and they needed somebody to come in and, and push him. And that hasn't happened either. Um, because it does seem like I haven't heard Lane Thomas's name in the, the write-ups or the the stories or anything like that nearly as much as you would have thought. In fact, I think I've heard more about Austin Dean than I've heard about yeah. <laughs> um, Lane Thomas. And I mean, I think that, you know, you start hearing about Austin Dean, you see Justin Williams hit a home run today. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of outfielders, which makes it even more difficult to see Dylan Carlson making this team to, to start with at least. And, you know, I know there's the whole service time thing that everybody's going to holler at, but you know, again, when you've got this many options, even in a short season, you got to at least give some idea of what you've got before you, you know, commit to something that's, that's really, you know, team altering to some degree. If you, you know, Carlson comes up, he needs going to be the guy that plays. And so, you know, they got to figure out what they've got and, you know, by now in a regular season, they would know that, but you know, they're just not going to have, you know, in a couple of weeks and they'll have to, they may have to make some decisions very quickly. Yeah. That there are just still so many pieces. I, I'm, I keep thinking back to where we were this spring before everything shut down and thinking, wow, this team is so hard to predict because there are just so many unknowns, whether mm -hmm. it's who's going to be in left field or can Harrison Bader recover offensively or does he need to because of whomever else it might be in the lineup stepping up and how does Dexter Fowler fare and what happens in this version of Paul DeYoung as he continues to advance and to grow and to develop and what happens with Matt Carpenter versus Tommy Edmund. I mean, there's just so many, so many pieces to that equation. I do think kind of as a side note to the Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson conversation, Tommy Edmund was in that mix when you started talking about left fielders. And now that the DH is in play, we don't, we don't really hear that anymore. So in my mind, that sort of settles Tommy Edmund at third base, although he can move around. And they've talked about that. John Mozalek was on the, the, the stream the other day talking about the fact that he's so versatile that he can take reps at shortstop. He can play at second base. He can move around to the outfield if necessary, which gives them maybe the good version of flexibility that they've been talking about for the last eight years or so that they haven't done very well. <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't seem far-fetched to assume that he'll be sort of penciled in at third base unless somebody else needs a day off. And then you rearrange from there. So 
yeah, it's this team still has a lot of unknowns. And I think that's what makes it so hard to really figure out any sort of standard for performance because we just don't know what a lot of these guys are going to do and how it's going to look, especially in this condensed timeline. Yeah. Speaking of things we don't know, Alan and I were doing Meet Me at Usual and talking about what happens if you know Tommy Edmund does flop or whatever or, or gets hurt or whatever. How how does that look at third base? Completely forgetting that Brad Miller is on this team. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a guy we haven't, you know, we didn't get to see much in spring because he was, uh, if I remember right, back issue, I think. I think um, so, something, yeah. like he didn't get to play, but like the last week or so before everything shut down. Um, and then I think he's had a little bit of problems foot, I think, this yeah, time around. Yeah, heel something, yeah. Yeah, so maybe we won't see a lot of Brad Miller. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> at this rate. But it is it is weird to think about these guys that, you know, they've been, you know the Cardinals signed Miller well, right before spring training. So it's been months ago, um, but we just don't have a feel for these guys, um, some of them, because we just haven't seen them. So it's, it's going to be... You know, and of course, we're going to get this 30 man roster. And about the time we figure that out, they're going to get rid of a couple mm-hmm. more of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm going to ask you something that Alan brought up in our, in, in Mutual this, this week about the Springfield group. Um, do you think that they will ever get to where um, they'll have quote, quote, minor league games, whereas the, the, the extra guys from the Royals will come in and play a game against the extra Cardinals. You think they'll get around to that? Or do you think that's just going to be too much for them to handle? I think it's, it's a really intriguing concept. My initial reaction is there's been so much effort made to get the major league season Mm. off the ground that I don't know if they have, I don't want to say they haven't thought that far, (laughs) but I don't know if there's been enough actual planning to put the structure in place to make something like that happen. But I would assume that if things continue to move in a positive direction, that there would be incentive for that because a lot of these guys that are coming in more on the development side than the depth side, it'd be great for them to face different competition or to get in sort of a different kind of reps than just live BP or sim games or whatever. So I do think that there would be some motivation for that. I think facilitating it in perhaps smaller facilities might be a little more of a problem or just more to to consider and to figure out. But it's just going to take paying some specific attention to that group as opposed mm. to the major league group when they have a spare second of time to do so. Yeah, it feels to me that if they do it, it's going to be kind of like we saw this week with the with the Royals coming in to Bush. It was like all of a sudden last kind of a last minute thing, like okay, right, we'll schedule. Yeah. And it it feels like yeah, okay, we'll schedule the Royals to come in, and then maybe a week or so later, you know, the the Cubs minor leaguers come in, or you go there or something. That it's going to be kind of on a case by case basis, and it depending, of course, you know, who's getting infected or if there is any. Um, but I can't. It becomes hard for me to imagine that. They're going to spend two months with Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor and all these really interesting names. I mean, I think if they were doing inter-squad games uh, in Springfield, I think they could televise those and people yeah. would watch them. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems hard for me to believe that they're just going to spend two months with these guys just, you know, hitting and pitching against each other. 
um, if they don't I, have, if they can have an opportunity to play somebody else. Yeah, I do think that a big part of that equation is like we just talked about going to be the travel, mm-hmm. because then you have to have all of those same precautions in place, whether it's the guy driving the bus or the hotel you're going to stay in if you're not close enough to do there and back and where you're getting food from and all of those things. So it just it creates a scenario where you have to establish the parameters of that bubble just as stringently as you did for the major league team, which is why I say from a logistics standpoint, I'm not sure there's been enough attention paid to that part of it. If it's just your guys and just your team and you're only in one place, it really eliminates a lot of the variables there and makes it a lot easier to manage from that standpoint. So if you start adding travel into all of that, it's not that's not to say it can't be done or that they won't try to do it, but that just mm-hmm. expands the reach of the concern a little bit in a way that you have to you have to put all of those protocols and plans into place before I think anyone would really consider it. Um, and and again, that's a time thing. It's a an attention span thing. And right now, the major league season certainly for for uh, generally good reasons has been the primary focus and and the rest of that has come secondary to it. But once they get going at some point, I think they're going to get tired of facing each other for two months or or whatever. And um, you know, the, the idea is that there will continue to be progress in the positive direction of management of the, the whole COVID scenario as a country. <laughs> and then we can start talking about some of those other things as well. But yeah, I, I think for me, the travel is the big piece of that, that might yeah. be the deal breaker. Yeah, I believe, yeah, I mean, great. granted, you're right there on that, but and you're right. Hopefully, and it's one of those things that it's not going to happen, you know, the first week or right. two weeks or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing where it may be the, you know, September um, right. before they can even get a game here and there in. Um, but I, I think and it it'll might be, depend very heavily on how it does go at the major league level, especially right. with the travel. Right. I mean, if they figure if it doesn't, if it looks like they're bouncing around and doing okay, then they may be able to risk, uh, you know, because again, the positive thing about this season and the fact that everything is clumped together is that, you know, at least nothing, if nothing else, it's very quick. You know, you can fly from Chicago to right. wherever Chicago's having theirs to Springfield in an hour or two. And if you, you know, again, take your precautions and stuff, hopefully you could do that. But, you know, they're not, not like the regular minor league games where they had to be taking a bus for 15 hours (laughs) and stopping at every gas station on the way, you know, so it would be seemingly a little bit more easy to curtain, but you know, again, there's, there's so many different variables that it's hard to know. Um, so Cardinals opened up with Pittsburgh this weekend, but before then, as we've mentioned, Royals come into town for an exhibition game. I thought that this, okay, this will be a chance for them to play like a real game until I realized I was reading about some of these others, like the Cubs and the White Sox and all them that are still playing like extra inning, uh, you know, a half inning here that's different <laughs> and skipping and in. And so I guess it's not quite as nine innings, uh, three up, three down as, as we would expect. But you get them back into town and you get a few extra, few ex Cardinals. Coming in, we've talked about Greg Holland. He should be there. Trevor Rosenthal will be there, and of course, Mike Matheny will be coming in. Is it gonna be? Is it gonna be a little weird to see Mike Matheny back in Bush, but on the other side? I think it will be to some extent, but it's also not a scenario where you're like, oh, 
Yeah. I wish he was still on our side. So it's kind of like, huh, that's different. But that's the extent of it, at least for me. And I also think while I can say I there's no part of me that wishes he was still working on the Cardinal side of things, I have no ill will towards him in, in hoping that he fails. I, I genuinely hope that all the work that he seems to have put in to become better at this job mm. pays off and that he does a good job and that he learns how to do this thing that he seems to really want to be good at and that he's able to be successful at some point. I think that was why for a long time I held out hope for him in St. Louis, that he would continue along that learning curve and f- realize what he wasn't doing well and, and work to fix it and, it seems like he didn't really do that until he left St. Louis, but nonetheless, he's put in the work and I, I have no problem hoping that he finds that success in the managerial role, even though it didn't go well in St. Louis. Plus I think the fact that it's the Royals, to some extent, there's a familiarity between these teams that some people want to, to call a rivalry. (laughs) I think it's been a while since it's really felt like a rivalry, but there is this sense of it's not, and I don't don't mean this necessarily as a slight on the Royals, but they're not an immediate threat. (laughs) And it doesn't seem like they're in a position where you're going, Oh man, the last thing we want is for Mike Matheny to come into St. Louis and spoil the party. It's kind of like, Oh, well that's, they're going to be here. That's, that's a thing they could do. So it doesn't feel quite as ominous, perhaps, as if he was leading the charge of, you know, whoever. I, like, if he had gone to the Cubs and you're like, oh, right. well, now we definitely have to beat him. It just doesn't have that same feel for me. True. And if nothing else, we don't have to have the discussion about whether there should be a standing ovation for him. This time around. <laughs> True. You know. <laughs> Or Although I do feel side, bad for like a Trevor Rosenthal type who's not yeah, going to get an ovation. <laughs> that's, that is true. I was thinking that, you know. But, you know, Matheny and Greg Holland, they don't have to worry about booze or anything no, like that no. either. So. Although I guess they could pipe them in. That's a thing that they're doing yeah, right now. <laughs> how is that? I mean, I have, I've heard about this. I have not read it on this. I mean, I mean, I guess it's the idea that, one, they don't. Um, broadcast anything the players are saying that shouldn't be broadcast, but and two to keep, you know, sign stealing or discussions from carrying across an empty stadium. But how is this going to work, and is it really worth it? You know, I've heard a number of different answers to that from different people who are either part of the process or who've been told how it's working on their broadcast. Mm-hmm. I know that not every venue is pumping that noise into the stadium. It's just on the broadcast. I know mm. in some cases it's not even going to be like the the play-by-play announcer isn't even going to hear it. It's done essentially after that. It's mixed in by the audio engineer, but no one else really is hearing it. There are other places where they are pumping it in over the PA system, so you'll hear it in the venue. Um, I think that's probably going to be more normal just because I think for the players, it'll feel more like a game if it sounds like a game rather than this inter-squad game where they're just playing in front of empty stands. But it doesn't seem like there's a standard necessarily, although I have also been told that at least at one point, it keeps changing, but at at some point, Major League Baseball was going to be providing sort of like a standard soundtrack (laughs) um, (laughs) that would be played 
but I've also heard stories of in these inner squad games, the the audio guy uh, chiming in with booze or with extra cheers or whatever. So I think there's this idea that there could be some individualization of it. And then what you do with it versus as far as the broadcast versus in the venue is kind of up to the team. It sounds like. So my guess is that we'll see a bit of an evolution with this whole thing as we go throughout the season as they figure out what works and what doesn't and and what's just annoying and what's necessary and how much it really makes a difference yeah maybe they could just pipe in podcasts you know there you go there you you go i'm sure that would that would help them focus quite a bit yeah yeah Oh, no. White noise yeah. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Until they really, what did they say about me? Hang yeah. on. <laughs> you know, that might, might not work. Um, yeah. And there's so many, so many weird things, so many different things that we're going to see. Um, but we finally get to see them. I guess that's, that's the good thing. Um, that we get to, you know, sit down on Friday night at 7.05 or 7.15 or whatever it is and, and watch the Cardinals take on the, a, a real major league team with nine innings and, and all that fun stuff. And even if it does have a DH involved, at least it's still baseball. Um, so we'll look forward to that. And then Tara and I will be with you next week to talk about the first series with the Pirates, hopefully a successful one. And we'll see just how weird it actually was. So for Tara, I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click Subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.